do a little exercise with you for a moment. You're going to use your imaginations. And, and uh, Genesis and Nancy have just told us uh, a lot of, about their lives. And I want you to think of your lives in, in, uh, in, a, in some categories. And so these are some of the, the, the big areas of your life. And you use your mental imagination. And, uh, and, it, and here in this corner of the stage, I'm going to put your family so you, so you envision your spouse if you're married, your kids if, you're, if you have kids, your, your siblings, your parents, anyone that is, that is in your family. Now on the other end of the stage in this big area, we, we put your work. Or if you're in school, this, this is your school. If you're retired, it's, it's whatever you're giving your productive and creative energy for. This is, the, this is a, a big area of, of your life. So you have your family, you have your work, and now we have some other big areas. For, so you may have just your free time, what you do in your recreation, entertainment, hobbies, these type of things. And, and you have friends and, and relationships. And then we begin to get it uh, down, we begin to narrow it down. So you're going to have to fill in the gaps, what is important to you and what's, what's big for you. And sometimes that varies. This, this may represent your money and your finances. It may re- represent your finances. This represents right here for me one, my car. My car died this morning. Oh, man. So, so, so this is a big one for me today. And you've got other ones. You've got big things that are on your uh, mind and in your heart. Now, as we have all of these categories represented on the stage, let me ask you, in your life, where does prayer fit into each of these areas. Is, is prayer a, a first reaction? As soon as you enter into that activity or that relationship, it's, it's a, you, you're, you're already lifting up that person or that, or that decision, that activity to the Lord. Is it a first reaction or is it a last resort? Like you've been through, you've worked all week on something and finally it's the deadline. God, help me to finish it. And that's the first prayer you prayed. It's last resort. Is it, uh, is it God, take care of this car? Even though I've been driving it for six years and I've never prayed for it yet. It's, uh, it's last resort. Uh, pray for that car. Is it first reaction or is it last resort? Where does prayer fit into all of these areas of our lives. Okay, with that question, with those questions in our minds, let's go to John chapter 15, and, uh, and I want us to read this, and then we'll, we'll come back to these questions. But in John 15, verses 1 through 8, it says, this is Jesus speaking, I am the true vine, And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you remain in me, you are, a, you are like a branch. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now here's the verse on prayer. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus is a master teacher. Have you ever noticed that? When he teaches, even the crowds say, I've never heard anyone teach like this man teaches. He's a master teacher. Now, when I look at this teaching uh, from Jesus here in John 15, there's a couple techniques that stand out that are just so, uh, so helpful for these words to not only make sense to us, but to stick into our minds. One is he uses this analogy of a vine and branches and a gardener. And we're going to talk about that more this morning. But that is just a powerful teaching tool that Jesus uses that we can really get this image in our minds and we can hang on to it. It has so much application for our lives. The second thing Jesus uses here is repetition. Did you notice there's one word that he repeats several times? The word is remain. Eight times in eight verses. And if we were to keep go, uh, reading on in the following verses, he uses it over and over again. In fact, in the first 11 verses in John uh, 15, the word remain, or your translation may say abide, depends on the translation that you're using. That word is used 11 times. The Greek word uh, translated remain or abide is meno. And it's a word that means uh, to, to remain, to abide, to stay closely connected to. It's talking about having a connection and a, a, a union, uh, being, being closely tied together. It's talking about persevering in a relationship. It's the opposite of being in and out of a relationship. Like you, you pop in and then you pop out. You, you call on someone just here and there. And then uh, when we think of God, we call on God here and there. But it's not continual. Abiding or remaining here, this, this idea is that we continue to persevere in that, that, God, that we stay connected to God all the time. In and out is great for hamburgers and potato cut french fries and, and milkshakes, but it's terrible for our relationship with God. What we want is that close connection with the Lord. Now, are you a tea drinker? You like hot tea? You, you put the tea bag in the, in the, in the teacup. Some of you I know are, are tea drinkers. Now, I'm not so much a tea drinker. My wife is, and so I've watched her, and I've watched others uh, drink tea. I like my cold tea, not so much my hot tea. So, so I've watched. One way that you can flavor the hot tea, the hot water, with a tea bag is you, is you put it in and you dip it, right? Dip, dip, dip. And then you got to get a spoon, and you put the tea bag against the spoon. You wrap the string around it, and you press on it with your finger. And all the flavoring comes out and goes down into the tea bag. So you might be a dipper. The other way is you can be a, you can be a dweller. 
you just put the tea bag in there and you let it sit. And over time, the water comes and it gets in and it comes out and it flavors the whole cup of water. Now, like I said, I don't drink a lot of tea, but one time I noticed somebody, they were dipping, and I said, how come you do it that way? I, I thought you were supposed to just let the tea bag dwell in the cup of coffee. And he says, oh, no, no, no. I don't do that because it flavors the tea too much. It's too strong. I like my tea weak. So I dip, 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 and then uh, just a press a little bit there. Now, when it comes to our relationship with God, we want our relationship with God strong. We want to have that close connection. So that means we're going to be, when it comes to our relationship with God, we're going to be dwellers. It's not in and out, in and out, dip in here and there, because that's the way sometimes we think of it. It's, it's here at church. It's maybe a, a, at a moment of crisis during the week. And then uh, it's, it's when we're having an argument with someone. It's dipping in and out. But what God is calling us to here in this passage is to dwell Christ with us all the time. That's what's behind this word, remain in me, abide in me. It's to, it's to be connected to him all the time, so that he begins to flavor all of our lives. Just like that tea bag flavors the water, when Christ is in our lives, then it begins to flavor all of these areas of our lives that we've got represented on, our, on the stage. You see, we want Christ to dwell in our family. We want Christ to dwell in our work or at school or in our hobbies, in our, in our finances, in all of these things, we want to dwell with Christ, remain connected with him, so that he begins to flavor all these areas of our lives. Now, when Jesus spoke these uh, words in John 15, uh, he and his disciples have just left the upper room. In John 14, uh, they have shared this last meal together before Jesus will be tried and eventually crucified. It's the night before he is crucified. And in the last verse of chapter 14, Jesus uh, says, Come now, let us leave. And so they've left the upper room and they are walking to the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, uh, before they get to the garden, Jesus is is beginning to address some of the staggering statements that he's made in that upper room. He told them at least two things that would have just stuck with them and, and thought, what is going on here? First of all, Jesus told them that he's going to leave them. He says, I'm about to leave you. And surely they didn't quite understand what that meant. What do you mean you're going to leave us? We've left everything to come and follow you and to, and to be your disciples. Uh, how is it that you're going to leave us? And the second thing that he says is, one of you is going to leave me. One of you is going to betray me. And again, they're dumbfounded by what Jesus has said. What do you mean? Who is it? Surely it's not me, Lord. Now we know, of, we know in hindsight that it is uh, Judas who would betray Jesus, but it is with these two statements, staggering statements, it, in the minds of his disciples that Jesus says, abide in me and I will abide in you. That in one way or another, and this is going to get played out ultimately 
through his death, his resurrection, and on Pentecost Sunday where he sends the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is going to come and dwell in us. And he says, remain in me and I will remain in you. So stay connected. You don't leave me and I won't leave you. There is this connection here. Now as they're traveling along the path, the Garden of Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane is an olive grove with all these olive plants, but surely they uh, passed some vineyards along the way. And Jesus uses this analogy. It's really more than an analogy. It's a whole allegory because it's multifaceted. There are several things here in this. There's, there's a gardener, there's vines, there's branches. And Jesus says here right off the, off the top, verse 1, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Okay, even from that statement, we get, this, we get a picture of this special relationship between God the Father and his Son. The, God the Father is the, the gardener, which means that the gardener plants the, the, the grapevine, and, and then as it begins to grow, the gardener directs it and guides it onto the trellis so that it can grow up big and strong, and the gardener prunes, and the gardener harvests the fruit— and God the Father takes care of his son in the same way. He guides and he directs his son. He leads him into the right path. Uh, he shows him what he is to do. He watches over his life. It's a special relationship that God the Father has with his son. And Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now, the reason he says the true vine rather than just a vine is oftentimes in the, in the Old Testament, Israel re was referred to as a vine because Israel was to bear God's fruit. They were to be God's representative to all the nations and to accomplish God's uh, will on this earth. But as we know, Israel oftentimes fell short. They did not obey God perfectly. They were not perfect representations of who God was. And Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am the one that has come to show who my Father is perfectly. Everything Jesus said and did was completely in line with who the, father's, who the Father is in, in his character. And then Jesus obeyed the Father perfectly, even to the point of death on a cross. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 says, In the past... God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. The Son, get this, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. God, Jesus sat down not only because he was powerful and he, has, he was worthy, he had authority, but he sat down because it was all accomplished. It was accomplished perfectly. It's like God on the seventh day of creation. He says it's very good and he rested. And Jesus sits down because the work of his Father is completed. And it's completed perfectly. So Jesus is the true vine. And then we are, as Jesus teaches, we are the branches. 
that means that we are connected to Jesus and we receive what we need for this life through our relationship with Jesus. In fact, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do what? Some things? No, you can do nothing. Now, a moment ago, I just laid out all these areas on the stage. And you might say, uh, Pastor Corey, uh, I, I see all these areas of my life. Don't tell me I'm not doing nothing. Like, uh, I'm doing a lot. I'm running from soccer practice to dance class to, to work to home to uh, doing all this here, there, and the other. And I don't know if God's really a part of all of that. Don't tell me I'm not doing nothing. Well, maybe the way we should translate this passage to really get at the heart of it is, apart from me, you are spinning your wheels. See, it's very easy for us to get involved in a lot of activity, but not really be doing what the Lord wants you to do. Not really be doing what is going to make a real difference in this world and in your life. You see, when we get connected with Jesus, when we abide with him, then he begins to give us what we need to do to actually do something that makes a difference, that has value, that has significance. He gives us strength and patience to be able to love our kids well. He gives us unconditional love to be able to love our spouse well. He gives us, he, he gives us wisdom and guidance to be able to do our work well. He gives us, he gives us, uh, he gives us the ability to, to resist, to self-control, to be able to manage our finances the way that he wants us to. He gives us vision and wisdom and, and even integrity to handle our free time and our entertainment and those things well. You see, when God, when we begin to do all these things with God, then we're actually doing them. Then we're actually living in such a way that begins to make a difference in the lives of those that we are interacting with. And uh, we're doing things that will last for all eternity. Apart from you, you're just spinning, apart from Jesus, you're just spinning your wheels. And Jesus says, get connected to me. Then you're going to bear much fruit. Now, if you, you'll notice in this passage, there are two kinds of branches. If we're the branches, there's fruit-bearing branches, and there's non-fruit-bearing branches. And now he says the non-fruit-bearing branches, what's he do? Cuts them off, and they're thrown into the fire. They're, they're worthless. They, they have no real significant value. But the fruit-bearing branches, the gardener, in his wisdom, God prunes us back. Now, I've always, uh, know, I've always wondered, boy, that's, those are two very similar uh, actions, getting cut off and getting cut back. But God knows exactly what he's doing. And sometimes the pruning doesn't always feel so good. Sometimes we're wondering, uh, man, uh, God, what are you doing? These are good, healthy branches. My car's not that old. God, what are you doing? 
It should last me a few more years. God, what are you doing? He, he's pruning back. Why? Because he wants you to bear more fruit. And so maybe you go through a trial because there's something that God wants to teach you. Maybe you go through a setback because you need to realize you are trusting in your own knowledge and your own wisdom more than you are trusting in God, and he needs to pull you in more so that you abide in him. Maybe you, maybe you go through a, a hardship because, uh, because God wants to teach you something. Uh, maybe, you, maybe you go through, uh, you're, you're denied your wants and your desires because God wants you to want and desire him above all else. You see, God works in our lives for our good. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So what is God calling you to, to today? If you are to abide in him, if you are to strengthen your connection with him, what's he calling you to today? Maybe it is that he's calling you to prune something out. Maybe there's an activity, a habit, a, a, some, some possession that you know that that's, that's not going to lead you to abiding with the Lord. Is, is God calling you to cut something out of your life? Maybe he's challenging you to change some priority or some value in your life so that you're more connected with him. Or maybe he's asking you to add something in, to to read his word or to pray or to, or to serve him or to worship him in some way. What is it that the Lord is laying on your heart that you might be able to abide with him, connect with him in a, more, uh, in a, in a deeper way? Now, all of these applications, uh, I am sure, will vary across the room, but I think there is one application that's really crucial for all of us, every one of us, if we are to abide in Christ, that includes spending quiet time with Jesus every day. Let me just say that one more time. Abiding in Christ includes spending quiet time with him every day. You see, if we're going to connect with him, then we've got to have that intentional time of focusing on him. The reason why I want to say that this applies to all of us is because we live in a world that so quickly pulls us away from God. We live in a world that has a million messages coming at us all hours of every second of every day. You got, you got messages coming through the radio and through TV and through social media and through private conversations and pressures at work and this, that, and the other. And all of them are trying to distract you from the Lord. And so we need to be able to stop and pause and focus on Jesus that we might get more closely connected with him. If the messages are coming at 100 miles an hour, our quiet time is when we slam on the brakes and we say, Jesus, just you and me, help me to connect with you. So, my, so quiet time is simply being quiet before the Lord. And this is what you might do. You might already be doing this, and you're like, I'm, I'm doing way more than this, but, and that's great. You've learned, you're growing, and this is wonderful. But for all of us, let's set a goal of spending at least 15 minutes of quiet before the Lord every day. 
You might even get out your phone and you set your little timer on your phone for five minutes. You're going to break it up into three five-minute intervals. And, um, and for the first five minutes, you open up your Bible and, uh, and you begin to read. Now, this is not a time where you're trying to study the Bible in depth. You're not trying to uh, get a whole bunch of new information. You're trying to just connect with the Lord. And I say the Gospels because this is time to spend with Jesus. So you read a teaching of his. You, you read a, uh, a story that, uh, of something that he did. You read, and as you do, you're asking the Lord, God, help me to hear from you. From that passage of Scripture, uh, you're going to ask the Lord to reveal one word or one phrase to you. So, for example, maybe what God uh, leads you to today is bear much fruit. And so for the next five minutes, the second five minutes, you're going to talk to the Lord about that one phrase. You're going to express to him everything that is on your heart. God, help me to bear much fruit in my work. Help me to bear much fruit in my family. And you begin to go into the specifics of those things, and you expand upon But you're just talking to the Lord and, uh, and telling him those things that the Lord lays on your heart. And in the last five minutes, so you've heard from the Lord and his word, you've expressed to God what is on your heart. Now the last five minutes, you simply just listen to God. You're really quiet in his presence. And the Lord may speak something directly to you about your family or about your work or about your broken car or whatever it is. And you might even have your, uh, I keep a notebook besides, and if the Lord says something to me, I just write it down. And sometimes it's not getting a specific message. Sometimes it's just being in his presence. Five minutes in quiet in God's presence will do marvels. We're so used to running at 100 miles an hour. Five minutes will feel like a long time until you get used to it. And then you're like, I want more. And, uh, and you'll bump it up a few minutes. But there is something very spectacular that will help you begin to think about all these things in your life in a different way. When I was a kid, there was a powerful uh, commercial on television. If you're over... 40 years old, you'll remember this commercial. Uh, there's this guy in the commercial, and he's standing in a kitchen, and, uh, and he holds up an egg, and he says, this is your brain. You know where this is going already? He says, this is your brain, and he looks at the frying pan, and he says, this is drugs. He cracks the egg, and the egg goes down, and it begins to sizzle immediately, and he says, this is your brain on drugs. Any questions? And I'm like, I have lots of questions. Uh, but the message was powerful, that, if you, that, that, uh, br that drugs will fry your brain. Well, I would love to just try to drive home this message just as powerfully, but in the opposite direction. Quiet time in the Lord will change your whole way of seeing all these things in your life. And then we begin to, to and what we're doing is we're, we're beginning to pray about him, and we're asking the Lord to come in and to fix my marriage, and to Help me glorify God at work. It's a hard place to, to help him to honor, my, honor him with my finances, all of these things. You see, when we have had, when we've been renewed by Christ in that way, then verse 7, and this is where we've been going 
towards all morning, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, when we've, when we've heard from the Lord, we've been transformed by his word and by his messages, and we're aligned with him, we're connected with him, we're abiding with him, then we can ask whatever you wish because your will will be lined up with his will. You're probably not going to ask for a lot of selfish, materialistic things. We're going to ask the things that are on his heart because we're in him. We ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And this is why prayer is so essential. Really, the first questions I asked you were trick questions. It's not first, re- it's not first reaction nor last resort. It's first, last, and everything else in between. Because we're walking with uh, Christ in all these things. We're abiding in Him. Abiding in, in Christ, daily dwelling in His presence, and experiencing intimate communion with God is the sweetest, most joyful, and happiest life imaginable. You see, you are a branch, and Jesus is the vine. God is the gardener, and you are going to have the most life in you when you are connected with Jesus. Just like the vine receives its water and nutrients, just like the branches receive their water and nutrients through the vine, you're going to have the most life and energy and joy when you are connected with Jesus and when God is guiding you and tending to you and taking care of you. So our prayer is that we would abide in Christ, that we would remain in him, that we would walk with him every moment of every day, and he would supply us with our needs, that we could rest in his love. Even when we don't understand what's going on, God may be pruning us and tending us and uh, leading us into ways that are much better than our wisdom could understand in the moment. It's really kind of like what Genesis said. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Father God, we thank you that you are our gardener. We thank you that you prune and and guide and direct us, that that you uh, lead us into the right areas. God, we thank you that Jesus is the vine, and we can stay connected to him. There's a promise here in this passage that if we remain in you, you will remain in us. And so, God, I pray that today we would, we would, uh, that we would cling to you, that we would come and connect with you at an even deeper level. I pray that even as we close our service today, that you would draw our hearts into you, that we would desire you more and more. God, I thank you for each person here today. I thank you that you love them so much. I thank you that, you that you're doing good in their life. And God, I pray that you would give them eyes to see how wonderful you are. And God, give them the will in their hearts to be able to commit their lives to you and to draw closer to you. God, we thank you that you love us so much. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.